I want to be free. <laughs> but praise be to God for his mercy, his grace, and his love towards us that he would even consider us for any of his blessing, even of the greatest of blessings, the forgiveness of our sins, and for us to have such a hope to be called his children that he loves and has always loved and he has saved to himself that we may behold his glory in all of eternity. There's nothing that we could do and have done that could qualify us for such a blessing. And even more so here this morning, this blessed day, Labor Day weekend, the Lord was pleased to grant us opportunity to come and see our beloved sister. <laughs> Sister Rita Beckett, it's a long story, but the Lord has united us in the truth of Christ. And what a blessing. I always wanted to come this way ever since we started talking, but the Lord did not open, open the opportunity for me to make it this way. So this weekend we determined that, oh, well, uh, what if we pass by and see our beloved sister and encourage her in the truth of Christ and just by our presence. The messages, she can always listen to them online, but to make the effort to stop by here and see you is from the Lord. The Lord has reminded you that he has never forsaken you. And also, for my own sake, is a reminder of his faithfulness. And Beloved Sister Sue also, thank you for continuing to fellowship and encourage our beloved sister. I'm sure it's a mutual relationship that we have in Christ and it is all coming from the Lord. So we are thankful for that. So for our um, service, I think we're going to sing two hymns and then after that we'll go into our text. And then we have a communion and we'll do all the wonderful things. Yes. Actually, let me pray. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We come as your people. We're always needy. Needy and needful of all things that are only found in Christ. We thank you for gathering us here at Sister uh, Rita's house uh, is a testimony of the gospel of Christ. We pray, Lord, for continued encouragement for her, continued support and health, and even for ourselves, Lord, to continue to labor and not get weary of well-doing. We thank you, Lord, for the words that you've given me to speak, and may you speak to the hearts of everyone who's gathered here and those who are gathered from afar. Lord, we honor you, glorify in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so we are here for the sake of those who are on Facebook. We are in the beautiful Garden State, the New Jersey 
on this Labor Day weekend. And we had come up this way to see our friends further up north towards New York. And the Lord determined that I also should stop by and see one of his people. And our dear sister has been part of our ministry, I believe, for the past five years or so. And the Lord has been pleased to grant me some words to come and minister his gospel truth in her house. I love this kind of ministry. It's not complicated. We don't have to have flashing lights and smoking machines and all those wonderful things that people have. We just go to the simplicity of the gospel. And for that, our teaching this morning is going to be from the book of Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12, verses 43 to 51. And those who are online, I may not have the best internet connection. And if you lose me, we have the recording of the message. I will make it available later sometime tomorrow. Okay. So I pray that the Lord will keep you connected. But it's a wonderful message. And I pray that the Lord will cause you to hear it. Exodus 12, 43 to 51. Moses recorded first and said, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it, but every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a higher servant shall not eat it, in one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones, or the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it, one law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. That's all the children of Israel did. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. And that's the word of the Lord. For a title, we actually surprisingly only have one title. I could make more if you want. But no foreigner shall eat it. No foreigner shall eat it. And for that, we'll go to our developing gospel testimony that we've been working in Egypt, where Israel is about to escape from the captivity of 430 years under Egyptian rule. A captivity that God put them through the hand of Pharaoh. A captivity designed and ordered by God as an unfolding of the gospel testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have been around me for a while, you know that we preach Christ from every book of the Bible and every text as much as God will open the understanding and reveal the gospel testimony. 
And I contend, and I've always contended, that the Bible is not a Nancy Drew series of books. Those of old who remember the Nancy Drew series of books. It is the story of Christ that God dramatized in the many types and shadows and yet finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Christ Jesus. And if we do not find Christ or the gospel in these stories, I argue again that we have not understood them at all. The story of Christ has many angles or vantage points to glean understanding from because of the complexity and significance of the person of Jesus as God and also as man and also because of his work. And yet there's simplicity to it. There's simplicity to the story of Christ because in summary, the story of Christ is saying salvation is all of the Lord. Salvation is all of God. And so I have argued, argued and repeatedly demonstrated in the series of messages that we've done that in Egypt, God was preaching the matter of sin, law and condemnation and the condition that has to be met to remove them. That is to justify those who have come under sin, law, death, and condemnation. And these are the only human issues to deal with. These are the real issues that we have to contend with. So the matter of sin is seen in the slavery of the children of Israel for 430 years. And in that condition or in this state, they could not rescue themselves. And God's point being that there's no man or woman who is able to rescue themselves from sin. So Pharaoh, by God's hand, oppressed God's people through his decrees that he worked through his taskmasters who increased their burdens and yet did not help them to lift a single one. So the decree left the children of Israel with no help to get the straw that they needed to make bricks to meet the quarter of bricks that they had to make every day and every week. And we observe that as God teaching the nature of the decree of the law, that the law by its nature is unbendable. It is uncompromising and yet does not help the sinner to meet their daily quarter of righteousness. The law does not help a sinner to become righteous in every or in any way. So where sin and law come together, 
we have a problem. Wherever we have sin and law, the result is death. The wages of sin is death and condemnation. A condition that cannot be reversed by anything that humans are able to do. And so God demonstrated through many plagues that Pharaoh could not be persuaded to let the people go, to let Israel go. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart as testimony of God's own attitude towards how sinners would be justified before him. If we do not see God in Pharaoh, then we won't understand what God is preaching in Egypt. Pharaoh was not as stubborn as we may think. God is he who made him stubborn so that he would not let the people go because God wanted to teach how salvation actually works. So where we read that Pharaoh had in his own heart, it is not speaking to Pharaoh's free will as some people may be led to think. <laughs> that was speaking to Pharaoh as a type of God who would not and could not and will not acquit a sinner apart or outside of his way of doing things. Therefore, we see in the story of Exodus, nine plagues, nine plagues came, but Pharaoh did not let the people go. But then finally, the tenth plague came and God said, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. One more plague. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. So what kind of plague is this? This tenth plague. It seemed to be something special. It seemed to have the power that the other nine plagues could not do. The other nine plagues could not let Pharaoh to let God's people to go. What was special about this plague? God says, About midnight, I'll go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. So pay attention to the composition of those who have to die. The firstborn of Pharaoh is included among them. The firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne as the sovereign king of Egypt. And at this time in world history, Pharaoh is probably the most powerful king there is on planet Earth. And so his firstborn is required to die he must die, not Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not dying. The firstborn of Pharaoh must die. And do not think that this was by mistake. Because God could have said, 
all the wives of Egypt, all the last born children of the Egyptians must die. No, he did not say that. He stipulated that at the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh, he would let the people go. And now to a question. Do you think that Pharaoh would have let the people go if his firstborn had not died? And only those of the Egyptians? No. Surely he would not have let the people to go. He would have just said, well, <laughs> tough luck to the Egyptians. <laughs> All my children are still here. And he would still continue in his stubbornness. And that tells you that the reason why Pharaoh finally let the people go was the death of his firstborn. And we have already established that Pharaoh carried the picture of God the Father because he was, as I said, the sovereign of Egypt. And it is he ultimately who held the people in, a, in captivity. God is he who holds us in captivity because of our sin, because he is the righteous one. He is the holy one. It is he whom we have sinned against. And so it is he who has to deliver us from himself. He knows what is required for us to be delivered from himself. And so the firstborn of Pharaoh was a picture of the Lord Jesus. And God saying, the death of Christ Jesus, the firstborn of God in preeminence, not according to birth certificate, but firstborn by reason of preeminence as the Son of God, is the condition for the release, for the salvation, for the deliverance, of those who are in captivity to sin, to death, and condemnation. And if we miss this point, then we have trouble interpreting the theology of the cross. What did Jesus come to accomplish? Because many, unfortunately, say that Jesus only died to make salvation possible until a later date to say he died to build a warehouse of salvation like Amazon and stuff it with a lot of things in there. But he did not give it to anybody. He did not give any goods to anyone. And that to say, when he died, he did not save anyone. Now, that is a position that we cannot entertain with sincerity and faithfulness of truth. God clearly taught that at the tenth plague, at the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh, his people must be set free. They must be justified from all their sins. All of them, at one time, was when Israel left Egypt, they did not live one by one over a period of two, three, four years. No, they all left their bags one time. 
and they were gone. And so that was one of the vantage points of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he was to come from the stock of God as the firstborn, as the son of God. And the other side of the Lord that was introduced to us was by the way of the Passover. These things are happening at the same time. The death of the firstborn of Pharaoh and the Passover lamb are dying around the same time to do the same thing, the one and same thing, which is the salvation of God's people. And so the tenth plague was conjoined with the Passover lamb, not as two separate things, but as building the testimony that the firstborn of Pharaoh was also mirrored in the Passover lamb. And that to say the Lord Jesus, as the firstborn of God, was also to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. As John the Baptist came and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And yet Christ would come and say, I am the Son of God. So God commanded that all of Israel would get a lamb or God that was without blemish and they were to kill it. And that day, on the day that it was killed, was established to be the Passover day, to be commemorated by all the children of Israel. And God says in verse 6, and this is verse 6 of Exodus 12. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, that is the land. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. The whole assembly of Israel were to kill the lamb at twilight. It had to die at twilight. And that to say the Lord Jesus, as the Lamb of God, was to die by the hands of the congregation of Israel at twilight. That is why and how they gathered against him to put the Passover lamb, to die on the Passover day. And so, even though the Lord was crucified midday, he only gave up the ghost at twilight, almost at the end of the day. That's why, what's his name? Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea they went to Pilate and asked to take the body of Jesus because it was almost getting dark, right? And the next day was going to be a Passover and they did not, sorry, a Sabbath. And they did not want his body to remain on the cross. And of course, there's theology to that. But let's keep going. Verse 7 of Exodus 12. God says, And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doppers, and on the lentil of the houses where they eat it. So they were to take some of the blood of the Passover lamb and apply it to the entrance of the houses where they would eat it. And this speaking to the New Testament, 
which is in the blood of Christ. Because it is the house that carries the blood of the Passover lamb. That's the house that God has put us in. That is the house that is safe for God's people. That is the house of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God says they were not to boil the lamp in water, but they were to roast it over fire because the Lord Jesus was to be put through the fire of God's judgment for the propitiation of our sins. Fire is a picture of God's wrath. So he had to be put through the fire. And they were to eat it with bitter herbs as testimony of the offense of the gospel. Offense of the cross. The cross of Jesus is bitter to the unconverted. It is hard to swallow. But what did this blood actually accomplish as it was shed? Did it make it possible for them to escape from Pharaoh sometime in the future if and when they decided to? Remember, they had already failed to escape for more than 400 years now. So if the blood comes and only makes it possible for them to escape, they'll never escape. They will remain stuck in Egypt. The blood came and bought their freedom from the hands of Pharaoh. It secured their freedom. It secured their release. Verse 12. Still in Exodus 12. God says, For I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I'll execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God says, when he sees the blood, then he would pass over the judgment of the children of Israel. And that means the children of Israel were judged together with the Egyptians. But they were not judged in themselves. They were judged in the blood of the victim, the lamb that represented them. God saw them already judged in the death of the lamb of God's choosing. God had united them to the lamb of the sacrifice. And this lamb represented them by giving its life on their behalf. So that they would not lose theirs. And God says, he will see the blood. Not their faith. Not their works. He's only looking for the one thing. The blood that glows in darkness. This is the only blood that God sees. And he says, when I see the blood, not when someone else sees the blood, 
When he sees the blood, I'll pass over you. And that means I'll justify you from my judgment. But through the lamp of sacrifice. And people think God has to use justify in every sentence where he talks about justification. No. If you know what justify means, you see it in a lot of places, even in the types and shadows that God has given. Just as we see Joseph leaving his court with Miss Potiphar, the court of vindication. Miss Potiphar was vindicated by the garment that Joseph left in her possession. That's justification. So faith cannot deliver a person unless the blood has been shed. And that is saying, the blood of the Passover lamb was the only condition of their justification and ours also. So in Egypt, on this night, there is justification and condemnation being taught because they never happen apart from each other. Justification and condemnation are two sides of the same coin. And Christ is the dividing line. Christ on the cross to the one thief justification to the other thief condemnation. Christ is the difference maker. So on this night in Egypt, we see the justification of God's people and we also see the condemnation of the Egyptians. So God's judgment of the Egyptians who were not covered by the blood were affected by the plague that destroyed their firstborn. And yet Israel was justified by the shed blood that represented them. And that means justification of the elect people of God happens at the point where the blood was shed. By him who represented them, not later. When the blood has been shed, then justification has happened. Because if you wait for later, then you can never escape. <laughs> God is saying, the blood is what secures the release of prisoners. The blood is the key to set the captives free. Because as the scriptures say, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. There's no cancellation. There's no justification. There's no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus did not shed his blood and then wait to justify them later. That is a serious failure to understand the gospel transaction. Because if a person is not justified at the death of Christ, then it means that God was not satisfied with the death of Christ. If the death of Christ is the condition for your justification, as soon as that death happens, as soon as that blood has been shed, 
then God has to justify because the payment has been received and God has accepted it. And God said, the blood shall be the sign for you. Not for him. <laughs> the blood is the sign for you. Mount Calvary is the sign for you. Because that's the only thing that is visible to him and that's the only thing that matters. In other words, that is the only thing that is merit in respect of your salvation. The blood is what you should look to for your justification. That is your testimony of salvation. But our looking to it is not what gives power to the blood. We look to it because it has power in itself. It is the fact that the blood was there at the door in the darkness of the night, the night of our sin, the darkness of our sin and its judgment. And this is the blood that God comes and says, I have given and I can see in that darkness. And religion will come and give you all kinds of things that may give you protection. You're progressing in righteousness, <laughs> becoming a better and a better person. But those are not the things that God says he would come to see if Sister Rita or Sister Sue are getting better and becoming better and better. That's not the testimony. The testimony is one. It's the testimony of the blood. Okay, that's the simplicity of the gospel, the testimony of the blood. But how did the children of Israel come under the protection of the blood? Was it something that they suggested? Was it something that they suggested to have God provide for them? Did the children of Israel actually come and say, well, this final thing is not working can you give us the blood that protects us? No. The blood and his salvation was imposed on them by God as the price of their freedom. And that to say, the death of Christ is what God imposed or demanded as the condition of your justification. So it is safe to say. Jesus justified. All his people. When he died. Because he met. The one condition. That God required. For our exodus. Okay. Now God continued. And introduced. The feast of. Unleavened bread. This was the feast that had to happen immediately after the Passover. So much that they became one feast in many ways. But in the feast of the unleavened bread, the children of Israel were not to eat anything that had leaven in it. They were to throw it out of their homes. 
And God saying, Christ Jesus was God's unleavened bread from heaven. Bread that had no influence of sin. Bread of life. That's what we need, the unleavened bread that is Christ. So you see, God is giving us the testimony of Jesus from the death of the firstborn of Pharaoh to the Passover to the unleavened bread. And it's going to keep building that testimony until the Lord shows up. But the children of Israel left Egypt with many possessions, as God had told Abraham in Genesis 15. They left Egypt with many articles of gold, silver, and clothing. They left the place of their slavery rich. They came out clothed with the righteousness of the blood that was shed on their behalf. They could not wait to get the clothing later. They could not have the Egyptians ship their clothing through Amazon, if they had Amazon that day, that time. They had to leave Egypt clothed with the clothes that the Egyptians had given them. It was given them as the soldiers later, thousands of years later, took the garments of the Lord Jesus on the cross and divided them amongst themselves. They were not just taking the garments of the Lord Jesus because they were nice. Yes, they were nice, expensive. But that was not God's point. These people were looking for covering. They're looking for righteousness. It doesn't matter if they know it or they don't know it. God is the one who has written the script. It is God who is preaching. That this is the exodus. The son of God, the Passover lamb, has died on the Passover day. And when that happens, the children of God also have to have some clothing on them. Whose clothing? The clothing of the Lord Jesus Christ. So on the Passover, there has to be a clothing of God's people. Okay? And so, don't think that the Exodus happened in the book of Exodus. The Exodus, in the book of Exodus, was only a picture of the bigger and final Exodus that was to come by the Lord Jesus. There's no Exodus if there are no riches that have been given and there are no clothes that have been given. There have to be articles of gold and silver speaking to the riches of God's grace. There has to be clothing together with that. Okay. And the exodus does not happen because of faith. It happened when the Passover was given. Okay. Faith is not the cause of the exodus. The blood is the cause of the exodus. And now, Moses says, 
from verse 40 of verse 40 of Exodus 12. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years on that very same day it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This that night of the Lord a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. You have to pay attention to the words that the Lord is speaking. He says, all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. All the armies. None was left. That's total salvation. None is left behind. All of them were accounted for. All the elect shall be saved. They shall leave the land of Egypt. They participate in the exodus of God's people. As a whole assembly. Not in portions or small groupings. And that to say, when Christ Jesus died, he saved his church. He saved a whole assembly of people as one body. And one time, he perfected them forever. All who are the sanctified. He perfected them. One time. So, fast forward to the day of the cross. Because the cross is happening on the Passover day. Because you cannot kill the Passover lamb on a day that is not the Passover. Now, there are things that God is preaching as Jesus is going to the cross. And we have the picture of Barabbas. And we have taught on Barabbas before, but we have some things to speak in reference to the Passover. How was Barabbas, the notorious sinner, set free? And who set him free? Was Barabbas the thief and the robber, not condemned to die by the law? He was a thief. Under the law, he was supposed to die. He was a robber. Sorry, he was a murderer. He was supposed to die. But Barabbas somehow went home. He got out of prison. He got out of chains. He got out of death row. How did he go home? Did the people not ask for his freedom. The people of Israel asked for the freedom of Barabbas when they were asked by Pilate. But did the people of Israel set Barabbas free? No. A sinner. Under the sentence of death cannot be set free by other sinners. A sinner cannot be set free by other sinners. 
So who then set Barabbas free? Was Barabbas set free by Pilate? Because Pilate was inclined to set free Jesus. Pilate did not understand the gospel. Pilate could not even set himself free. How could he set Jesus free? Who then set Barabbas free? It is Christ Jesus. But Christ Jesus was already in chains. The one who was in chains is the one who took the place of the one Barabbas who was in chains. But did Jesus say anything to Barabbas? Did Jesus say a single word to Barabbas? No, he did not. How then does Jesus save Barabbas without saying a word to Barabbas? By what he was doing. Action speaks louder than words. Jesus does not need anyone to say anything as a condition of their justification from prison, from death. Because our justification is unconditional. It is all on him. Justification is wholly of Christ, not of works, not of words that we have spoken. Justification is of his grace. So Jesus is he who set Barabbas free because he took his place. Because on the Sabbath, someone has to take the place of another. But many who say, no preacher, that can't be right because we have no record of Barabbas' faith. We have no record of Barabbas' life. We have no record of Barabbas' church activity. We have no record of his baptism. Question. Do we have a record of your faith in the Bible? You're looking for the record of Barabbas' faith is your record in the Bible. No, it is not. <laughs> but we do have a record of who stood for Barabbas and what happened to him. We have a record of who stood for Barabbas. God gave Barabbas a lamb without blemish to die in his place on the Passover day. God gave Barabbas someone to represent him because that's the only way he got out. Christ Jesus stood for Barabbas and paid for the sins of Barabbas because a sinner cannot be set free unless they found a ransom payment for their freedom, a redemption price for them, one who is able to cancel their debt for them. One whose blood God sees. That's who Barabbas was given. By grace. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He didn't care for Jesus. But somehow Barabbas was set free. He was set free 
unconditional. There was not any requirement for him to stop stealing either. Because as Jesus is proceeding and preaching his gospel to the cross, we're going to find him with another thief. We're going to find him with another thief who is not even able to do anything. And yet that thief gives the testimony of salvation. So what did the people say to be done to Jesus? The people said, crucify him, crucify him. Why? Because that's what you do to the Lamb. That's what you do to the Lamb of God. He did not come to be admired. Jesus did not come to do miracles in Palestine. He came to die. He came to be crucified. And what about Barabbas? What did the people say? They said, we want Barabbas. Set him free. Pilate, give us Barabbas. And they were preaching. And they were telling the truth. Because when the son of God has been given, then Barabbas must be set free. So give us Barabbas. Give us Rita. And what about Jesus? Crucify him. And they were mad. They were angry. But they were telling the truth in their anger. They said, well, let his blood be upon us and our children. Why? Why did they say that? Of all things, why did they say that? Because that's what happens on the Passover. The blood that is shed has to be put on someone. Let his blood be. This is the blood that God sees. Let it be on us and our children that we may live and not die. That we may also participate in the exodus. The final exodus that the Son of Man has come to usher in for his people. So on the Passover, blood has to be shed and be put on the door lentils. On the Passover, someone has to be set free. You have to pay attention to that. On the Passover day, blood has to be shed. And also, someone has to be set free. In Egypt, it was Israel. In Israel, it was Barabbas <laughs> on Mount Calvary. It was you and me in the picture of Barabbas. On the Passover, there has to be justification of all those who are represented by the Lamb. That is how Barabbas was set free. And that is how Simon the Cyrene, who was carrying the cross of Jesus, was set free. The cross of Jesus had what? It had blood on it. Because Jesus had been carrying it. And now that same cross is on the back of Simon the Cyrene. Simon the Cyrene is also being covered by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus is preaching quietly. He's not a victim of what is happening. He is 100% in control of what's happening. Everything that is being said is a sermon. God is preaching. Okay? So, on the Passover, there has to be justification of all those that were represented 
That is how Barabbas was set free. And this is how God has set you free without meeting any condition on your own. Barabbas participated in the exodus of God's people. The exodus of God's people is a movement from condemnation to justification. A movement from the decree of Pharaoh to freedom. Because that's what the Passover lamp was given to do. Yeah? And our ultimate exodus is to go to heaven itself. That's the exodus that Christ came to inaugurate for us. But hear this. If Jesus seeks for the faith of Barabbas for him to be set free, Barabbas would have died on death row. And if we preach a gospel in which Jesus died at the Passover lamb and yet did not justify anyone, then we do not understand the matter of which God is speaking. Barabbas went home only because he was justified. All the charges against him were dropped by the one who stood for him. And if you want to see that people do not believe the gospel, tell them that Barabbas was justified by Jesus. They will go up in arms, in arms <laughs> protesting because they do not know the condition of justification. It is not faith. It is Christ. It is not faith. It is Christ. It is his blood. Now, God comes and gives more instructions to the matter of their participation in the Passover. And that will take us to verse 43 of Exodus 12. And he comes and says, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. Now God was stipulating who could participate in the Passover. In other words, be a beneficiary or a recipient of the work of Christ who is going to benefit from the blood that was shed. Who and what is the condition for them, if any? He said, no foreigner could eat it. And that means one who was not of the stock of Israel. And that already is limiting who would be saved by the death of Christ Jesus. <laughs> we know that it was not just the Israelites who joined in the outward movement of God's people in the Exodus. It was not just the Israelites. There was also the mixed multitude of the non-Israelites who could not participate. Even though they joined with God's people as they were living, God said, oh, there are restrictions of who could participate. Verse 44, let's hear more. But every man's servant who is bought for money when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. So if there was among them a servant 
who was obviously a foreigner and had been bought for money, had been bought. There had been a transaction of buying them and had been circumcised. Then they were made fit to participate in the Passover. And you see, the two things that are required here are things that they don't do themselves. These are things that are done to them. They are bought and then they are circumcised. They are not causing any of this themselves. And God is so consistent. Let me repeat this again so that I will continue on my point. The seven had to have been bought. A price had been paid, had to be paid for them. And this is us who were foreigners, but were bought. Not for money, but by the blood of Christ. Not only that, the servant had to be circumcised for them to benefit from the covenant promises for God's people. And so, all the redeemed have been circumcised by Christ himself. We know that even from the picture of Joshua, as he had the children of Israel getting ready into the promised land to go into the promised land, Joshua circumcised all the males himself to say all those who ultimately enter into God's promises are circumcised by Christ himself. So we were bought for a price, not by way of money, we were bought by the blood of Christ. That is what qualified us to partake of the benefits of the blood of the Lamb. Okay? So here this in Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Paul says, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him that is in Christ, you were also circumcised with the circumcision, mad without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Do you see? By the circumcision of Christ. That's what the circumcision of Christ did. And we know what that means from what verse 12 says. The circumcision of Christ is in reference to his death on the cross. Because it was the putting off of the body of sins. So Vestkov says, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the circumcision is taken away from the physical understanding that the children of Israel had to Christ's work on the cross to say it was a removal of the old and bringing in the new, which is the justification of God's people. So it stands to say that only those that were purchased by the, by the blood of Christ are they also who are circumcised by Christ. Their sins were removed by the body of Christ on the cross. So the circumcision of Christ is in reference to his death on the cross. Because that's where our sins were put off. You see, that's very clear. If our sins were put off on the cross, it means that's where we were justified. There's no reason to argue with that. It's clear. 
Okay, verse 45, going back to Exodus. Moses continues and says, A sojourner and a higher servant shall not eat it. So a sojourner is a temporary resident. They were not participating because they were residing only for a short time. And this ordinance was being given to be observed not temporarily, but permanently. And the higher servant was also in that bracket of people who could not participate. They were being hired and would be in the camp or community of Israel only for the length of their employment. After that, they were discharged. Thus, they were not recognized as part of the community of Israel. And as long as one was not a permanent resident or citizen of Israel, they could not participate. Only permanent residents, only citizens participate. So even in the U.S., by law, anyone who is a temporary resident and a hired servant, people who come to the States to work on the farms during peak hours of the planting, harvesting seasons, they can do a whole lot of things. They can go buy things at Walmart and all that, but they cannot vote. If they do, it's against the law. Okay? Why? Because their interests are not permanent to the interests of the country. They are not permanent. In that regard, they are still considered as foreigners. Okay? So, this did not begin with the United States. <laughs> this is God's teaching. Here, this verse 46. But, uh, sorry, in one house, it shall be eaten. That's in reference to the Passover lamb. In one house, it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. So see that it was to be eaten in one house by the community of Israel. And that is significant because God is teaching the gospel. The house in which the Passover was to be observed is the picture of the house of the New Testament. Because the Passover celebration and remembrance was continued in the New Testament with the enactment of the Lord's table. Communion is a continuation of the remembrance of the passing of the Passover Lamb of God. So it is an everlasting ordinance. But now it has come to its fulfillment in the person of Christ. Okay? So we hear the Lord Jesus now giving meaning and significance to it and saying it's about me in Luke 22. Let's go to Luke 22, 14 to 20. Luke 22, 14 to 20. Luke says, when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. 
the hour that it come, this is the Passover, the hour for the Son of God to be crucified. This is the hour that God ordained from before the foundation of the world. This is the hour of your justification. The hour had come. Now, tell us what happened, Lord. Verse 15. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The breaking of the body, that is the dying of the Passover lamb. Given for you. That God may have blood on you that he sees. Do this now as often in remembrance of me. Not of Egypt, but of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. The new covenant is now building the new house for God's people built by his blood. For this is my blood of the new covenant, Matthew says, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So the blood was shed for the cancellation of sins. So when the blood was shed, then there was cancellation of sin. God is not waiting for that. As soon as the blood is shed, there has to be. Because that's what it was given to do. I've been driving on the freeways and the turnpikes and, and paying my toll fees. They have the whole thing blocked. And as soon as you make the payment, you drop your $5, you give them the $10, guess what? They're going to set you free back to the highway. As soon as the payment is made, you have to go through. Okay? And so the Passover feast was looking to the Lord Jesus and his work of remission of our sins. And that is what we celebrate and we remember whenever we have the Lord's table, as we're going to have today. We remember him who caused our exodus from Egypt, our exodus from condemnation because Egypt is a place of slavery. So Egypt is a picture of the world. That's what Egypt represents. And from this world, you're going to have to have a Passover lamb to escape. Otherwise, it's coming under God's judgment. Okay, here, verse 46 again. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside the house nor shall you break one of its bonds. You shall not carry the flesh of Christ outside the new covenant. But that's where it has merit. 
You cannot mix the new covenant with the covenant of Moses. Because that's carrying the flesh of Christ outside of his house. It has to be eaten in one house. It has to remain in the one house. You can't mix law and grace. That's the point. Okay? And then God says, Not one of this lamb's bonds shall be broken. So those who have to chew on bonds, <laughs> you're out of luck. God says, don't be chewing and breaking the bonds of the lamb. But what does God actually teach? Let's go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 17 to 20. The psalmist writes and says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and serves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him all. Sorry, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. The righteous in view here was the Lord Jesus. It was he who was had because of his godly fear. It is he who was delivered out of his troubles that had engulfed him because of our sin by way of the resurrection from the dead. It is he who had a broken heart. They say the Lord Jesus died of a broken heart because of the way they did the resurrection. Sorry, the way they did the crucifixion. Because with the crucifixion, both your, your hands are tied, your feet are tied to the pole, and to come for air, they had to keep going up and going up. And from what I've read, that ended with people dying out of a broken heart. But hear this. He guards all his bonds. Not one of them is broken. He guards all his bonds. None of them is broken. So none of the bonds of Christ were broken. But let's hear John giving the testimony around this. John 19, 31 to 37. John says, Therefore, because it was the preparation day, this is the day that Jesus died, that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with them, the legs of the two thieves. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They did not break his legs. So the Jews had ordered for the breaking of the bonds of all who were crucified to speed up their death. Because they would be, as I said, using their legs to keep coming up for air. 
and trying to breathe and breathe. So once you break their legs, they cannot come up for air anymore. So they broke the legs of the two thieves, but when they came to Jesus, they found him dead already. So they did not break his legs. Now it sounds like they were actually reasoning all of this by themselves. And making decisions. Let's make decisions. Let's see if we can break the legs of Jesus. Exercising their so-called free will power. No, they did not decide anything. Hear what John says. Verse 34 of John 19. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear. And immediately blood and water came out. I never want to just skip things when the Lord is giving us useful knowledge. So the Lord is pierced. None of his bones are broken, but he is pierced on the side. Water and blood came out. Water and blood are fluids of birth. So to say, when the Son of Man, when the Passover Lamb of God has died, a new child has to be born. A new creation has to be born through the cross. Something new is happening because of the blood and the water. And that is the church. That is the new creation. That is the new beginning of God's people. That is the end of Moses. That is the enactment of the New Testament in his blood. Something is being born by the blood and the water. Okay? And now John continues verse 35 and says, And he who has, and he who has seen has testified. And his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bonds shall be broken. And that is its roots from our Exodus chapter 12 text, where God said, on the Passover, when you take that lamb, you shall not break any of his bonds. So Jesus died on the Passover lamb, sorry, on the Passover day, as the Passover. So all these instructions were in reference to him. So those who say, oh, Guyo is making up things when he goes to all these places in the Old Testament and he's talking about Jesus from places that don't say Jesus. No, I'm not the problem. Jesus is the problem. He is the one who said all those things testified of him. You go and read them correctly, you're going to find my testimony there. And so that's what I do. Yeah? Verse 47 I think we have two more verses and we should be done. Uh, three. God says, verse 47, All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. The Lord's table shall be observed by all who have been redeemed of Christ. There's no other way to explain it away. And we keep the Passover even more 
even better than the Jews and Israel of old, through God-given faith in Christ. The Passover is not a particular day now to be remembered. The Passover is now in the person of Christ Jesus. So we remember him. He said, in remembrance of me, we remember him. So the more that we understand the gospel significance of Christ and his accomplishment, the more we see what God means by the Passover. Okay, So the Passover did not make your salvation possible. It was your salvation. It accomplished our complete exodus from condemnation to justification. That's what Christ accomplished. Verse 48. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Now, we have some very interesting statement here. Given everything that we've been told about who could participate in the Passover. We were told that a stranger could not participate. But now there's introduced to us another category of another type of stranger who wants to keep the Passover to the Lord. And the text says, his males must be circumcised. But what has that to do with his own participation? <laughs> God says, that's what he has to do. I want to participate in the Passover as a stranger. God does not say, you, James, you have to be circumcised. He says, your males that belong to you, they must be circumcised for you to participate. His males have to be circumcised. Now, the question that I had to ask was, who is this stranger? Who has this kind of provision? Who seeks to, partic to participate in the Passover? But he himself is given exemption, but with qualifications. It is the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus was a stranger among Israel. He did not have his roots from Israel. He was from above. Remember, even the Israelites, they called him a Samaritan. They mocked him. And said, oh, you born out of fornication. You're a Samaritan. They treated him as a stranger. But he had interest in participating in the Passover. And so he had to have all his males circumcised. And that is to say, all his people circumcised. He had to have all his people circumcised. And then the text says, we have been circumcised by the circumcision of Christ. <laughs> and that is saying, Christ participated in the Passover and became the Passover lamb 
for the sake of the circumcision of his people that he had to accomplish. We were circumcised by Christ himself. A circumcision of Mount Calvary. A circumcision not done by the hands of men. Verse 15. I believe that's the last. Verse 15, 51. That's all the children of Israel did. As the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. On that very same day, the Lord did what? He brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt on that very day that the Passover lamb was given. What is that saying? It is saying when Jesus died, God's people are immediately justified. They are immediately delivered. They are immediately set free from that which condemned them, from that which held them in bondage. It was Pharaoh in Egypt, and it is sin, death and condemnation for us when Christ died. On that very, on that very same day, it happened for Egypt, for Israel in Egypt, and for the whole body of Christ on Mount Calvary. So those who come and say, Jesus died, and yet the elect are still condemned until such a later day, when they receive faith, they do not understand why the Passover lamb was given and what it actually did. The Passover, once given, sets free. As Jesus said, the Son of Man sets free. Him who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. And it's immediate. If you read the testimony of the Lord in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when he was healing people, the apostles were very clear to tell us that it was immediately. It's immediate. That's like at least 99% of what was recorded. Unless otherwise the Lord was trying to teach something else, but the healing was always instantaneous. Okay? So, we have come by God's grace to participate in the exodus of God's people as Israel did in Egypt. We are already in the movement of God's people in the exodus. We are not in Egypt anymore. We are already out of Egypt. Just as Barabbas did on the Passover day, looking to the same blood of the Lamb. Israel in captivity in Egypt. The son of Pharaoh dies. The Passover lamb dies. Blood is shed. 
And what happens? God's people immediately are on their way out. Out of their bondage. The firstborn of God, Christ, is captured. Barabbas is in prison. And he is said to die, condemned to die. And yet on the very same day, Barabbas is called out to freedom. As Israel before. Out of Egypt I called out my son. And also Barabbas is called out of prison. The chains of death fell from Barabbas. The falling of the chains, that's justification from all sin. Because it was not Israel or Pilate that had Barabbas in prison. It was God who had Barabbas in prison. Barabbas was elect. (laughs) Barabbas was elect. Barabbas was not a foreigner to Christ because he was called out of prison to participate in the exodus that Christ had come to accomplish. Barabbas was elect because there were many lesser criminals who were not set free on that day. Some criminals were just probably stole some flour, maybe some cooking oil, maybe someone's flip-flops. They were in prison, but they were not called out to participate in the exodus. Barabbas was not a sojourner or a hired hand. Barabbas was not a temporary resident of Christ. He was a native of the land That is why he was set free on that day, not because of Pilate, as I said, and not because of the children of Israel, who said they wanted him to be free, but because of God's free and sovereign grace. The Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, had been inspected by all the trials that they had set him through. And all his life, was for him to be inspected for sin to determine if he was fit to be the Lamb of God. So all those trials, as much as people hate them, they were ordained of God. And at the end of the trials, he was found to be the Lamb of God without blemish. Because Pilate confirmed it. Miss Pilate dreamt it and said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. The soldiers declared it also. And so Barabbas must go. And I too must go with Barabbas. Because even yourself have become Barabbas. If you want to understand anything about how you stand and how you were saved, look to Barabbas. That's how you were saved. Barabbas justified from all sin because Christ had stood in his place. So do not tell me that Jesus died 
but did not justify anyone. That is contrary to gospel truth. But then, our title is, The Foreigner Shall Not Participate. There shall be some who shall be found at the wedding feast not wearing the right garments. They left Egypt without the right garments because the garments you don't find when you're already out. You have to leave this place with the garments. Those who were not invited to the wedding those not allowed to participate in the Passover and the Exodus. Yes, they are found in the community of believers. They are found among them as the mixed multitude, causing us trouble. Those who come and yet they are wearing foreign clothes, strange garments. And Jesus told a parable in Matthew 22 where he had called for people to be gathered, his people, from every corner. And then on inspecting those who had been called. This is what he saw as the king. In Matthew 22, 12 to 14, he saw some guy who was in there. And he did not like it. He approached him and said, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And Jesus says, and he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. So, beloved, praise God this day who has fitted us to be participants in the Passover and the Exodus who has clothed us with his righteousness. The God who has drawn us near to himself by his grace and set us free by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of the Lord Jesus. Free at last for Israel in Egypt after 430 years. Free at last for Barabbas. And free at last for us who were bought, redeemed, ransomed at the price of the blood of the Lamb. The blood that God says, when I see the blood, I shall pass over you. That's the wonderful news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is well with us because of the blood that God sees. And we shall leave this place in the day that God shall call us, clothed in that righteousness of Christ, that perfect robe that is no spot or blemish. And we shall be presented before him holy, without blame, and above reproach. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the words that have been spoken. May you minister this truth to as many as will be given ears to hear. All right, good people.
Thank you. We are done. Be praying for safe travels. We have more than eight hours to drive later today. Okay, so the Lord will keep us. He never fails us. All right.